You're assuming I could see your hand. Yeah, I saw something up there. Let me know, are we live? Oh, we're live. Well, good morning. How is everybody? Having nice way back there. Way. We did move a mic back there so that those who don't, well, I can't because the camera gets me here. So that's why I'm sitting here. You can stay there. You can stay there. You can stay. But we're in the last chapter of Haggai, chapter 2, long book. So we're at a certain point. What's the status right now in, in Jerusalem? What's it like? Don't, don't everybody answer at once. Well, yeah, they, what, what's the status of the temple? It, it, yeah, it's, it's got a foundation, okay? In other words, they got the footer down. You know, if you had a house, you got the slab. Okay, that's about it. It's as far as they've gotten. What are they living in? Nice homes. Okay, so the homes have been rebuilt. They're living in nice homes, but the foundation is there, and that's about it. Remember, this is, this is kind of where we're taking a little bit of a, not a dog leg, but we're trying to put it in perspective, because we're studying Ezra, okay? And we were in chapter 4, and chapter 5 says, and Haggai and, is it Zephaniah? I think it's Zephaniah. Both as, um, as prophets of God, then spoke to the people, okay? Because nothing was going on. Now, in the book of Ezra, we're through four chapters. Who hasn't shown up yet in the book? We've got Zerubbabel. We've got Josiah. He's the son of the priest. Zerubbabel is the, the uh, if you would say, the, the, uh, the lead person in Judah. But who hasn't showed up yet in the book of Ezra? Ezra. We'll get to Ezra in a couple chapters, but Ezra doesn't show up until almost the end of the book, near the end of the book. But to talk about Haggai, Haggai's bringing him a message from God. And th the first part of the message was in chapter 1, and Doug went through that one. It was like, you guys haven't done anything. What's wrong with you? The second chapter is to say, I'm with you. It's the whole theme of what's in the second one. To get them moving, to get them building, to get them doing something. And to say, God hasn't been absent. God's been watching what you did, or in this case, what you didn't do, which is rebuild my temple. That was the big thing they were sent down to go do, wasn't it? When Cyrus sent them out of Babylon, back to Judah, the first thing was to go worship your God. Well, how much worship are they going to do if they don't have a temple? Not the way God wants it done. So that's what we're talking about this morning with Haggai. Pay no attention to the man climbing up on the, on the pews. So, on the 21st of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai, the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, 
and to Shil, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? How do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? So what temples are being compared that God's talking about here that Haggai's relating to the people? What temples? Well, that's kind of common sense. There, there's more priority on the pagan temples than on God's temples. Well, there, yeah, if you look at some of the temples that are around, uh, certainly the one that's to uh, various uh, gods, Greek gods that are over in Greece are probably some pretty, 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 pretty nice temples. Huh? But he's not comparing it to a pagan temple. It's temple to temple, temple of God to temple of God. Which temple of God is this? Who was the one who built, up until this point, really the only temple we know of? What did David do? All the way through, did God let him build it? Go ahead. He collected all the materials. He collected all the materials for who? For Solomon. For Solomon. So it's Solomon's temple. What was it like? Fancy. Glorious. Uh, glorious. It was, um, when people came in and saw that temple with all the gold and everything and the silver and everything else, it was something. Remember when the Babylonians came and took over Jerusalem and took everything out of the temple, it was gold utensils, gold plates. Everything was gold. It was all of the, all of the things that they had, they had carved out on the walls were overlaid with gold. It was unbelievable. What does the temple, what does the temple look like now? It's a slab. It's a bunch of stones on the ground. Stuff from Cyrus too to help him build. Absolutely. He he sent materials. He sent money. He sent the authority for them to go build. And it got started, but then they stopped. It's where you collect money, but you don't use it for what it's for. That's kind of what happened. That's, that's part of what happened. Some of what today is that people are maybe intentionally deceiving you. They went out there with good intentions, but they forgot something. What'd they forget? God was with them. They got afraid of everybody around them because they forgot God was with them. That was a comparison. Are there people who are left that would have remembered Solomon's? If there are, they're really, really old. Okay, because they'd been in captivity for 70 years before it was taken out. But if there are some left, if they had an extended life, they would be, be doing that. And you talk about it right here in Ezra, at the beginning. Then Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak, and the brothers and the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brothers, rose up and built the altar of God to Israel to burn offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Now, when the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood up in their apparel with their trumpets and the Levites and the son of Aspa with the symbols to praise the Lord according to the directions of the king David of Israel. So this is when it first started. Okay, when they first got there, they got started, they had a lot of zeal. 
And they sang, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his favor is upon Israel forever. And all the people shouted with a great shout of joy when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was yet was, was laid. Yet many of the priests and Levites and heads of the fathers of the households, the old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes. So when they first started, they had a lot of zeal. They said, God is with us and we're going to go and everything like that. But what happened? Remember the parable of the tares? The parable of the seeds, I'm sorry, the parable of the seeds. Some seed went on to rocky soil, okay, and it didn't grow at all. But some went onto the ground, but it was very narrow. It, it didn't have a lot of, of uh, dirt to it. What happened to those? Roots weren't deep enough. They weren't deep enough. What happened to the plants? Eventually dried up. They dried up, okay. What's that analogy of that when Christ told that parable, as far as the seeds? It dried up. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what happened to these people here. The cares of the world evaporated their zeal for rebuilding the temple. They forgot God was with them. And they didn't stay. It didn't have staying power. So what was the re responses when they first laid the altar in the foundation? It was like a groundbreaking thing. And even the old guys were excited because it brought back memories. Well, the old guys were crying because they knew what the form of glory was. The people who were born in captivity that were there were all excited because they didn't know what the temple would look like. So you had two different responses. Somebody's phone, car is going off. So back to Haggai. But now, take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all you people of the, of the land, take courage, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of armies. What would you say if you got a personal message like this from God? Who would you say? We use your name. That's a lot of weight, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly would say, wow, he knows who I am. He said, I'm with you. Zerubbabel, I'm with you, Joshua. I'm going I'm to make this happen with you. Another interesting part of that is, how does God refer to himself? Why is that important? Armies. Lord of the armies. Lord of armies. Have you ever seen that before? Kind of interesting, isn't it? Why do you think he does that? It's basically saying, don't worry about it. I can take control of it. They can't defeat you with him. They can't defeat you because I can defeat them. Kind of goes back to, to here in Ezra. And I think there's a contrast that he has. Because remember, this has happened quite a ways into the time that they had. And a decree was issued. This is back when they stopped him. This is when they stopped the building cold. And a decree has been issued by me, and a search has been conducted, and I have, been, I have discovered that the city has risen up against the kings in past days, 
and that rebellion and revolt have been perpetrated in it. So this is Artaxerxes' letter back to the surrounding people around Jerusalem where they're trying to get it shut down. And this is their authority to go shut it down. That mighty kings have ruled over Jerusalem, governing all the provinces beyond the Euphrates River, and that tribute, custom tax, and toll were paid to them. Now issue a decree to make those men stop work, so this city will not be rebuilt until a decree is issued by me. And beware of being negligent in carrying out this matter. Why should there be great damage to the detriment of the kings? Then as soon as the copy of the king Artaxerxes' decree was read before Rehem and Shimshai, the scribe and their colleagues, they went in a hurry to Jerusalem to the Jews and stopped them by military force. Then the work on the, on the house of God in Jerusalem was discontinued and it was stopped until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So what really stopped them from building? The false report. Huh? The false report they sent to the king. Well, yeah, they sent a false, they, they, they told the half-truth, the Artaxerxes, to say, you know, these people are going to rebel, they're not going to pay taxes. And we talked about this is, um, Xerxes and Artaxerxes are going through battles with Greece, and they're not doing very well. This is when this, Xerxes, I think, fought the battle at Marathon. Artaxerxes fought, fought the battle at uh, Thermopylae, and neither one of those turned out too well. They won on the land, they lost at sea. So you have this going on. So they need money, okay? So they appealed to the king's need for money to say, hey, you're not going to get any taxes. Matter of fact, I didn't get a gate. It's going to go away, so you need to do something about it. So they kind of told the half-truth. They said, this ha happened in the past. It's going to happen again. They sent a military force. They sent an army in to stop them. And I think that's the contrast of what God says. He says, I'm the God of armies. I can beat any army there is. Don't worry about the army. Because up until this point, what were the people around Jerusalem doing to stop them? It was kind of subtle, okay? They were bribing people to tell lies. They were trying to keep them from bringing supplies in. They maybe even were stealing stuff from them so they couldn't build. But they weren't overt about it. But now, when they get this smart of Xerxes, it says, go stop them. Go stop them right now. They said, we got the authority. We can kill them all if we want to, to make them stop. So back to Haggai. So this is, this is kind of the timeline. And when we, let, we were in chapter 4, there was the first letter that went to Xerxes. It also says it's Hazarus in chapter 4. And then the second letter came here to Artaxerxes. And when we get back into Ezra, we'll be back in the second year of Darius. So that's what's happening with the kings that's going on right now as far as what's going on in the world right now. The Mede-Persian Empire is at its top, but it's beginning to decline. The uh, Greek Empire is starting to raise up, and the Roman Empire is starting to grow too. But that's over in Italy. That's farther uh, to the west from where they are. But they're already fighting with the Greeks. Both of these kings have been fighting with the, king, with the, uh, with the Greeks and not doing very well. So that's kind of what's going on in the world right now. And you can kind of see some of this all swirling around and, and affecting what's going on with the Jews in Jerusalem. Back to Haggai. As for the promise which I made you when you came out of Egypt, 
My spirit remains in your midst. Do not fear. So what was the promise when they came out of Egypt? They were reminded of promises, but what were they, what were they supposed to do first? Clear out what? Clear out the place that God gave them in the original yeah. Clear out Canaan. You already had one promise fulfilled, right? Remember to Abraham, he gave him three promises to Abraham. What were those three promises that God gave to Abraham? Clayton already said one of them. The land. What are the other two? He descendants. Make huh? a great nation. Great nation. Many people as there are sand by the sea, as many people as there are stars in the heaven. Okay? And he was at that particular time, how many kids did he have? Zero. What was the third promise? Huh? Government. Nope. Well, maybe kind of, but. Yep. Through your seed, all mankind will be blessed. Christ would be to come through Abraham's seed. Those are the three promises. The one promise, your nation would be as many as the sand by the sea, as many as stars in the heaven. That's already happened. They were 430 years in Egypt, and they were, there was probably a million of them. There was a whole lot of folks. Yep. This morning, I couldn't believe two million or more they were scared of them. They were having too many people. If they ever went to war, they said they couldn't handle it. That, yeah, the Egyptians were, were afraid of them, and they try, that's why they tried to kill all the firstborn males, because there was too many of them. That's the problem. Make them a threat. Then you can offer a solution. Then well, the solution, yeah, of course, they wouldn't let them go, because they were doing all the menial labor in Egypt. But, but let's, get, let's get back to the promises. Okay? The promise when they lead, left Egypt was, we're going to deliver this land to you. Right? That was a promise. How'd they know the Spirit of God was with them? Yeah. Yeah, they had a big pillar of fire at night that you could see. And then they had the same pillar that was a cloud of like smoke in the daytime, in front of them, all the time. And if somebody was coming up from behind, like when the Egyptians came up behind them, that cloud moved behind them. Okay? They knew God was with them. They had some physical thing that showed them that God was with them. These people here in Jerusalem didn't have the same thing. What did they need? They needed faith. They didn't have a physical cloud that was there or something else to say the Spirit of God is with them. But God was saying, I'm with you. Matter of fact, I've been with you the whole time and watching what you do. But he's going to ask some questions. But this is what the Lord of Armies says. Once more in a little while, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea also and the dry land. I will shake the nations, and they will come with wealth of all nations. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of Armies. The silver is mine. And the gold is mine, declares the Lord of armies. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of armies. And in this place, 
I will give peace, declares the Lord of armies. It's kind of interesting, the contrast, to say, the Lord of armies is going to give peace. How's this wealth going to come? Are the Jews going to go out and take it? How did they get the wealth when they left Egypt? People were throwing it at them. Gold, jewels. The fear in the hearts of the Egyptians. The fear, yeah, and they were so glad because of the 10 plagues these people were leaving, they gave them all kinds of stuff. They gave them livestock. They gave them gold. They gave them silver. They gave them jewels. It's going to come from the nations around them because God's going to make it happen. But how's God going to bring greater glory to that house than it had before? You could look at this physically. You could look at this spiritually. What was the temple like when Christ came? Who built it? Who built it up at that time? Herod the Great. It's Herod's temple. It was huge. It was huge. It was bigger than Solomon's. They had a court of the Gentiles. They had a court of the, you know, this group. They had, they had all these courts around it. They had the temple. The temple was ornate. What were they missing in the temple? Ark of the Covenant. When it went to Babylon, it never came back. So how is the glory going to be greater? Christ. It's going to be greater because it's going to be us as the temple. It will lead to Christ. That temple will be greater than it ever has been because God's in it. How will it bring peace? God will take care of it himself. Yeah, God is going to give us grace. The peace is going to be between us and him. There's always going to be people who are going to be tearing against Christians. People tearing against people. But that enmity, that wall between us and God, Christ tore down. It brought peace. That's why he's called the Prince of Peace. The peace between the Gentiles and the Jews, too. Now it's available to everybody. You eventually got it, yeah. At the, at the first, if you're they didn't want to let the Gentiles in. That would create a little bit of um, anger. If you were a Gentile and you said you couldn't be included because you weren't a Jew, that would... Yeah, Paul took care of that. Actually, Christ took care of that, so Paul would take care of that. Okay, so on the 24th of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, and that's the Darius I pointed to earlier, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, saying, The Lord of armies says this, Now ask the priests for a ruling. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and it touches bread with his fold, or touches cooked food, wine, oil, or any other food, will it become holy? 
why is, when was this occurring in terms of temporal rules? What, what's, what, what's going, who's the ruler going on? We talked a little bit about that. It's Darius, right? It's in the Mede-Persian Empire. What's God asking here? Things holy, I guess. Yeah, exactly. What makes things, well, something that's holy, that's physical, makes something else holy that's physical. Well, it's from God. Yeah, I wouldn't call it hogwash. You can create stumbling blocks saying, you know, you need to eat this on a certain day or something like that. It's all hogwash. But he's making a point. God's making a point to say, and I'll get to the point on the next part of it. So what should be the answer? Well, some holy food makes something else holy. The food that makes it holy is God that makes it holy. But what should the answer be? No, which is what's on the next slide. And the priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if one who is unclean from a corpse touches any of these things, will the latter become unclean? And the priest answered, it will become unclean. So what point is he making here? Quite did touch on it. You can't make yourself holy, but you can sure make yourself unholy. The things you can do to, can take you away from me. Then Haggai responded and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Why are they unclean? It would be because of their sin. It would be their sin. What haven't they done? What was the means the Jews had for sins? They had to make sacrifices, but it had to, be to work for it. They had to make animal sacrifices, but it had to be done with God's blessing. It toward his Where'd they make the sacrifices at? They didn't have a temple. <laughs> You're all unclean. You don't have a temple. Well, they, yeah, they were doing it. They had an altar. In other words, they put some stones up or something like that on top of the slab, and they said, we're there. God says, no, you're not. And you're unclean. Why? Because you haven't tried to please me. You've tried to keep yourself safe. You don't understand I'm with you. I'm the God of armies. Don't worry about it. Get building. It was what Haggai's trying to tell the people. What will make them clean? I actually phrased that wrong. Who will make them clean? God. Okay. Only one who can make them clean. Not touching any of this holy stuff or anything like that. I'm it. God's it. But now, do consider for this day onward, before one stone was placed on another in the temple of the Lord, from that time when one came to grain heap of 20 measures, there would be only 10. And when one came to the wine, that to draw 50 measures, there would only be 20. I struck you 
and every work of your hands with scorching wind, mildew, and hail. Yet you did not come back to me, declares the Lord. What's God asking him to consider and why? Motivation? Did they recognize the mildew and the hail and the other problems they had with getting food? Did they recognize that it was from God? No. Because they didn't think God was with them. What he's saying here is consider how things were. Consider, I was working there to get your attention, and I couldn't get your attention. So what did God do when he couldn't get their attention with the subtle things that he was doing. He sent a prophet. So let me explain it to you. You guys aren't doing what I want you to do. And here's my prophet who's going to tell you all about what you need to be doing and give you some confidence to get it done, which is the whole point behind Haggai. What were the people missing? God is with him. They did miss that. Totally. They thought, we're down here. We got all this money from Cyrus. But they were thinking on strictly a physical level. Not a spiritual level. Kind of could see that. Zerubbabel was probably born in captivity in Babylon. What kind of worship did they have in Babylon? They didn't have a temple. They probably told stories. Probably was all passed down by mouth. But they'd never seen the temple. They'd never been in Jerusalem. Zerubbabel had never had. Neither had Josiah. So you got these people who know nothing about much of this stuff except for stories they've been told. So their faith is pretty weak. Do consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day when the temple of the Lord was founded, consider, is the seed still in the, in the barn? ever including the wine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree, it is not, product, it is not produ produced fruit, yet from this day on, I will bless you. So, what's God requiring them to change in order to get his blessing? Nothing. They get the blessing... And then they can start to do the work. God's kind of funny that way. He didn't make you earn it. He blesses you so that you can serve him. As opposed to saying, well, if you do so much, then I'll do it. It's not contractual. It's based on grace. It's not based on what you do. It's based on your heart. And I think God can see their heart changing at this particular point to say, okay, now we understand better. We understand God is with us. We understand God has been here all along, and we just missed it. And I think their hearts changed. Because of that, God's going to bless them. Then the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. What does it mean when he's going to shake the heavens and the earth? Many ways, but his 
Looks like a change is coming. Changes. Big changes are coming in the world. Talks more about in this verse. And I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nations. And I will overthrow the chariots and the riders and the horses and their riders will go down, every one the sword of another. So what's going to happen between now and Christ's coming in the world? A lot of fighting. Okay. We're through with the with what was going on initially um, with the Babylonians. But the Babylonians have now, that kingdom's gone by. It was conquered by the Mede-Persians. Mede-Persians are now going to be conquered by the Greeks. Greeks are going to go as far over to India. And then after the Grecian Empire comes and it's established, then the Romans are going to come in. So you're going to get a lot of changes between now and when Christ comes. And God says, that's me. I'm shaking things up. Was this revealed by Daniel? Yep. Daniel said, here's the kingdoms. Remember the big statue? Gold head, silver chest. And is that statue? Huh? That's the only thing I understand is the statue. Everything else is too By this particular time, at least they understand two parts of that statue, the head and the shoulders, the head and the torso. And the next one's coming up is going to be the, is going to be the hips. Area, and then the last one is going to be the Romans, which is going to be the iron. On that day, declares the Lord of armies, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Sheol, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of armies. What's a signet ring? It's, it's the ring of the king or the ruler. If you're the king and you give me the signet ring, I have all the power and authority that you need. Yep. All the power and the authority. What, the, what was one of the things they used signet rings for? They sealed something. Yeah, they put wax on it, make that ring, and stick it in there. Okay. So, how does this apply to Zerubbabel? God. I've given you all the authority and I'm going to back you up 100% to go rebuild my temple. Well, he is the ring. It's, it's, it's a metaphor. But he's the ring. He's God's authority to get things done in Jerusalem. To rebuild the walls, to rebuild the temple, to bring it all together. And we're going to be talking later on in Ezra on just how all these things come in. Money and resources and everything comes in from the, all the people that are around there that allows it to happen. But Zerubbabel is going to be at the focus of that. That's it. Next week we will be going through with Doug into Zechariah. Zechariah. Zechariah is the other prophet of the two prophets. And we're not going to go through all of Zechariah. There's like 12 chapters. We're going to go through a couple of chapters that really focus on um, the rebuilding, where the message is to the people right there, and then we're going to come back to Ezra. Questions? Comments?
Yeah, Bob. Well, when he comes, there will be a, the temple is here. We are fully functional. We are the temple. No, that temple's that temple's. Uh, uh, remember when when they talked about it? Some of the prophecies says that temple is a is a uh, smoky or a hazy indication of what's in heaven, but the temple is us now. The temple in Jerusalem means nothing. The God's temple is in heaven. To try to rebuild the temple or something, you know, and then somebody's, we're talking Revelation stuff. Did I answer your question? It's hard to hear you up, way up here. Anything else? Okay, I'll give you back about five minutes. <laughs>